Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite new podcast, Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an internationally beloved actress. <laughs> and I'm Matthew Dempsey. I'm a psychotherapist. And also don't forget to download and subscribe and write a review because we'd love to hear your thoughts. Download and subscribe. Please. You don't say you don't say multicultural therapist anymore. Well, that that's true. I am that too. I'm a psychotherapist yeah. and multicultural counselor. Multicultural. <laughs> he doesn't. He, it's not just for breakfast anymore. He <laughs> might take care of everybody. Now, um, <laughs> I love making you giggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, today's subject is uh, a neurotic behavior. Yes. And right before the program started, you said that neurotic is an outdated uh, description. Well, it's just it's not really commonly used. Um, but what is and kind of more clinically accurate is when we start talking about anxiety and panic disorders and then right. all kinds of accompanying behaviors that, you know, kind of reinforce a lot of fearful thinking and actions for us. OK, when does yeah. it become a disorder? When is when does it move from uh, in a clinical way? Yes. This is very interesting to me. And from a clinical standpoint, when does it move into like a common sense? I'm just thinking, uh, I, just looking out for myself into a disorder. Uh, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I don't think that that is as important to really define. But what I would say is because in terms of like, know. well, OK, the, the boring news of it is that there's we have what's called the DSM. Uh, yes. And so it's just like a, it's basically the clinical Bible that helps us be able to kind of categorize and diagnose. And there's all and kinds we were of diagnostic the criteria. Uh, us homos were in the DSM until yes. like, what, 1967, 72? Uh, I want to say it was 76 or seven. Anyways, exactly. it doesn't matter. Listen, the point, but the point is, and this is also something in terms of like diagnosing people that has mm -hmm. all kinds of cultural um, limitations to it anyway. And it also kind of like creates this really kind of narrow framework for people to try and like diagnose themselves when that's far less of, an, of the issue. More importantly, are the experiences that accompany it, you know? And so when we're thinking about some of the things that we can get tripped up in, when we start to feel overly stressed, which is anxiety, when it starts to create this kind of sense of panic within us, which is a very mm -hmm. physiological response to a perceived threat that's not actually real, those are the things that we just wanna start naming so that we then have kind of layman's terms to help understand what our emotional experience is and then also what we might be able to do with that. And so we make it far more practical. So that when it comes up, you're not like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Well, because and then when we're talking about these clinical diagnoses, then it's just kind of like, oh, okay, is this normal or am I crazy? And there, it's it's a broad spectrum of all very normal emotional responses that we have. A lot that can be laced with all kinds of irrational processing and behaviors that kind of follow up and and uh, you know kind of keep it going. So was it irrational for me to go to my ex boyfriend's um, while we were <laughs> together to his hotel room and lie down on the floor in the hallway and look underneath the door? to make sure that he wasn't home to like look for his footprints going across. Cause he told me he wasn't in. No, that's normal. How else are you supposed to know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be, that would be an, uh, listen, if we're going to call this neurotic behavior, if that is the terms <laughs> that we want to use, then that's it to a T right. Because, okay. So, like why, tell me why is that something that actually happened? Yes. Because like, I just, no, remember, Alec, you did not. <laughs> no, yeah, I just remember lying flat on the floor in a hotel yeah. Looking underneath the door jam yeah. and waiting for the footprints to go across frame because right. I knew he was lying to me that he just didn't want to see me. Yes. Okay. 
All right, so that would be problematic um, because the thing, if we're getting to a point, and that's, that's the thing, it's not just down in a hallway in a hotel and looked under the door. No, no, <laughs> no, because listen, if we're ever getting, it, it's not to say that there shouldn't be signals to us that trust might be compromised in a relationship, but when we are having to, you know, kind of do all kinds of deep dives or checking somebody's phone and breaking into their stuff with their password or looking under the door. It's like, okay, now you're taking it next level. And what you're doing with that level of anxiety is that you're, you know, kind of enacting a behavior that's supporting the belief that the only way you're going to be safe in the world is if you're kind of controlling and trying to pay attention to every single facet of what's going on. And that's not accurate. How dare you? <laughs> no, that is, that, I'm, I'm, I'm reacting because that's exactly, that is exactly where I was in the height of my sex and love addiction. I had okay. to control everything. All and right, wait, well, hold on. Can, let's, can we, do you mind if we just break this down for a minute? Like it's a mini session. I'm shy. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. All right. So what was going on that even kind of led up to that point? Like what was the, what's the nuts and bolts of what was happening right before then? I was in love with somebody who was very private, very, um, very emotionally uh, remote. And that made me pull in even more. Uh-huh. Okay. So he was, so he wasn't as open. And so then that made you He's more anxious open at all. And so I would, um, wait, 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 hold on. So what is, so without, without knowing for sure, like if he wasn't just a complete open book and wasn't, you know, kind of running his mouth all the time about everything he was thinking and feeling, then what did it leave you fearing in the absence of knowing those things for sure, because yes. he wasn't just, you know, offering them, where did your mind go? What did it I feel went to like? the worst possible place, which was what he doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want to be with me. Okay. So that's the anxious thinking, right? Yeah. And, and it was the place I went to was, and uh, he doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want to be with me. And the second part was, what can I do to change that? And so what did you try to do? Um, I did everything, but give him space. <laughs> like what, what were some of the, what were some of the smothering things that you would do? Oh gosh. Well, you don't think that lying down in a hotel hallway and looking underneath the thing. Uh, <laughs> That's one of them. But what are some of the other things before I would that leave point? Notes. I would leave passive aggressive notes, slip them under the door. Um, I would, uh, I would be, I would, I would pout. I would be emotionally withholding to show that I was hurt. I was very passive aggressive. I didn't, I did everything but come out and uh, uh, say the things that I was feeling like, I really need to see you, or I'm in a needy place right now, or I, things that I would do now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is great, obviously, a healthier way of processing. But I think that this is a great example about what can happen, that when we don't have or when we have only limited information, we fill in the blanks. Our brains naturally fill in the blanks with what we might believe about something, right? Right. Because that's how our brains work. It needs a complete story from start to finish. So when things are missing, we fill in the blanks. And when we are not maybe as emotionally aware, we start to fill in the blanks with all of our greatest fears. So for you, the absence of knowing all of this information about what he might be thinking or how he might be feeling, you fill it in the blanks with your own anxious, irrational beliefs that I'm not enough and he's clearly seeing that. So yes. those are your beliefs. They get perpetuated, especially when you start acting out defensively. So these are, there are the pieces behaviors. of my skull on the screen right now because you've just blown my mind. That was, <laughs> that's what I learned in SLA is that, you know, it was all, it had nothing to do with him. It right. about me thinking about like, so it was all, think, it all came down to how I felt about myself. So now when friends call me about relationship stuff or they're ragging on some shitty yes. guy they're seeing or some shitty girl that they're seeing, I always take it to what they told me in SLAA, which was take the person out of this 
yes. conversation completely. And yeah. let's just concentrate on where you're at and how you feel about yourself. Totally. I realized I didn't know how I felt about myself. Yeah. And then when I realized I, that, that I never really looked at that before. And when I looked at it, I realized I didn't like myself. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly. why I was seeking external validation. But it's perfect. Now yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the face of perfection for sure. But that, but that's the thing too. And, and, and I love that because there's like so many times with clients or personal friends, when they're talking about stuff that's happened in this relationship and stuff that's happened in all these other relationships, I'm just like, okay, honey, like you are the constant. They're the variable. Yeah, what do so let's pay attention. Exactly. And then being able to take a look at that. And, uh, you know, I like what you're saying about, okay, how do I actually feel about myself? I think probably a more accurate way of starting to break it down is what's the story that I'm telling myself? Essentially, what do I think about myself? Right. And when I bring that up and I'm aware of that, then I can see, okay, that's what I think. And then what do I do with that thinking? If I'm acting out defensively, if I'm trying to get into their phone, if I'm trying to be passive aggressive, or if I'm like looking under the door, those are all the behaviors, essentially what we're calling neurotic behaviors. But this is the cognitive behavioral part of things. It's what yeah. am I thinking, the cognition, yeah. what's the behavior that you know reinforces that thinking. So when it's irrational negative thinking and then negative behaviors, it just continues to spin us into a tizzy because we continue to believe all this bullshit. Right, right. Your lover, Brene Brown, always yes. talks about that. What's the story? What the story I'm telling myself is. Yes, yes. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. I have a friend who's coming on and we discuss our emotions constantly. Yay. She's a super, super talented actress. She has an amazing book that just came out on Amazon called True Heart Intuitive Tarot. And it is a book filled with, it's a, it's a guide to tarot for beginners. And she doesn't just explain the cards. It's like, a, it's a, she mixes in a lot of autobiographical material. And I'll show you an example of it during uh, the rest of our fine program. Let's yes. get to her intro. Yes. All right, everybody. Today's guest was the star of the cult classic film, The Craft, Rachel True. By the way, obsessed with The Craft. And for sure in high school, me and all my girlfriends would watch it all the time and pretend to be witches. She broke into the entertainment industry working as a guest star on TV shows like The Cosby Show. She appeared in the rap parody CB4 with Chris Rock and played Dave Chappelle's romantic interest in the film Half-Baked, which I also loved and lived my life by, and the iconic Sharknado. She and the very famous and our favorite Alec Mappa starred together in the TV series Half and Half, which it should be streaming on Netflix now. I love working with Rachel. She's so much more than an actress. She's a lifelong occultist, which means she is someone who believes in or studies the supernatural or supernormal powers. She turned to spirituality to keep herself grounded because acting makes us all crazy neurotic, outdated term. She has read celebrity tarot cards like Billie Eilish, and now she shares her tarot knowledge through her new True Heart Intuitive Tarot, her guidebook and deck boxed set please welcome the fabulous rachel true yay hi guys thank first of all thank you so much for having me on i love the concept of this podcast because 
my introduction said occultist, right? But I always call it more of esoteric studies. Mm. And to be honest, the whole thrust of my book, you know, uh, I feel your like book, true heart, the true heart tarot, the book I wrote that you can get on any platform. Your yeah. favorite book <laughs> no, no. Um, it really dovetails so well with therapy. Mm. To be a thousand percent honest. And mm. the way that I've constructed this book or, you know, I have memoir essays in there to back up and illuminate the cards. But mm -hmm. the book is more about I call it a shrink in a box and a spiritual Xanax, because mm -hmm. what you guys were just talking about before I came on about taking the focus off the other person yeah. and putting it back on you and what you can do to learn to self, first of all, the cards are great for self-soothing. Mm. I personally think a lot of people, including myself, right? We didn't grow up being taught how to soothe ourselves when we're upset. So one of the things I love to do with tarot and Alec, who listens to me whine a lot, but he also, <laughs> but he also knows, he, <laughs> but, mm. but one thing Alec also knows is that I use tarot to kind of help me figure out what's going on so that I can calm down before I call someone up so yeah. that I am not just dumping the minutia of my brain on my friends because I'm an adult and well aware that they have their own minutia going on, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then I also just want to throw in a little, I swear to God, I'll let someone else speak. But um, <laughs> I find that um, it's interesting. Alec has, when Alec and I were working together, he would talk about the uh, ex-codependence or the codependent class that he took. And I found that really interesting because I learned in the process of writing the book, like I'm an insecure dater, if we go by those terms, right? But what I learned about myself in doing this process was, sure, sure, but not really. I'm, I'm not actually an insecure dater. I'm an avoidant dater. Mm -hmm. And I learned that really deeply. And I believe that avoidance for some of us, like myself, is really just the flip side of codependence, right? You can be codependent and look under the door, or yeah. you can suppress all that desire to do that mm -hmm. and become avoided. Now you're a shrink, so I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm saying this is what I discovered about myself. Yeah, we're completely wrong. <laughs> Everything you said was was so you're stupid. Telling. <laughs> was so telling. And Matthew Dempsey, no. a psychotherapist, is about to tear you apart. So <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I no, I think I love everything that you're saying. I was only going to add to that and echo some things, which is that we can be codependent, where we're overwhelmingly kind of investing into another person to have our sense of worth, or we could be what you're talking about, avoidant, which is what we call counterdependent, which is that oh, I don't need anybody. I can be totally on my own. I don't need anything. That's the same side, a uh, different side of the same coin that's where it's still coming from insecurity. No, thank you for that. Cause that's what I've been, and again, I'm not trying to, with this book and I'm very clear in all the talks I do, I'm not setting myself up as a guru and I'm not promoting positive toxicity at all. I'm literally trying to look into these things and say, my book can help decipher it, but the cards also like, listen, whether you're into magical stuff or not, it's not really about that for me. It's literally what does a card make you feel how does it mm -hmm. hit you on yeah. a visceral level because how it hits you is going to be different than alec so yeah. the emotions that come up around that and you can look at a card one day and it make and it makes you feel happy and then yeah. the next day you look at the same card a couple days later and it makes you feel queasy or uneasy and that's a tip off to what's going on inside it, us yeah right? young ian matthew it <laughs> is very young ian, i know rachel no rachel i wanted to say i wanted to say that um i'll be honest the the um tarot card and all of this stuff that was never really exactly my thing but a few years ago i dated somebody who did this. And the thing that I absolutely love about it, even if it's not 100% my thing, 
um, sure. is the fact is the is the framework that it gives people who are um, who are able to help kind of introspect and to be able to connect to their feelings, to name their feelings, to give some sense of how to kind of navigate that. So that, but, for that reason, I love it. And let me jump in and say, it's fair enough. You're not into it, like, you know, um, per se. Um, but th- my thrust is Jungian. And one of the things I do love about tarot, especially if you use the cards in a spread, right, mm-hmm. which has positions. So, you know what they mean, it informs it a little more, <laughs> is it actually gives you some helpful tips for getting to where you want to go. Because yeah. If your behavior, you know, you know, I get it. This guy knows because you talk to people. People love to complain about stuff, but they don't really (laughs) put the action into changing it. All of us, me too, right? So this is very active tarot. And I actually cut someone off. I don't read publicly anymore, just for a few friends here and there. But I cut someone off because I said, I've been reading for you for two years. And, you know, every three months like clockwork, this guy treats you like crap. And then you go, can you believe? And I got to listen to you for an hour on the phone going, can right. you? And I was like, listen, no, everybody but you can believe. Yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. Well, listen, I want to talk about your wonderful book for a second, because uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I Thank to- you for reading it, yeah, Alex. The whole goddamn thing. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, That's a friend. what Rachel does in the book is she, like, this is the Empress, which looks suspiciously like Rachel True. She Knockers. Um, first of all, <laughs> giant knockers. Uh, the tarot is not like a traditional tarot deck in that it's very multi-culty. It's very Afrocentric. It's very Afro-futuristic. It's very diverse in the deck. And I love the deck. The cards are beautifully illustrated and has a lovely texture to it. But um, you have a great essay. Rachel's a wonderful writer. She writes, um, she'll she'll discuss the card. I'm going to talk about you like you're not here. So go smoke. <laughs> so she talks about the Empress. The Empress represents our connection to the divine feminine, the seat of our emotional, physical, and sexual power. They are the lover, the mother, the child, the creator, the goddess, and the destroyer. Those are big things. And what I love about the book is that you're so vulnerable in this book, Rachel. You talk about incredibly personal things. Um, You talk about how you were in foster care. You and your brother were in foster care. And that led to you kind of, um, whenever you saw your mother, it was a treat. It was a precious, precious thing. And you talk about a road trip you and your mother took out to California. This is this is what I wanted. To, uh, but in all of this, what stood out is how much, this is why you're on the tr- road trip with your mom after being in foster care. But in all of this, what stood out is how much I wanted to be the center of my mother's universe. That This is not abnormal for kids, but can be dangerous if carried into adulthood. The dynamic was learned from my atmosphere in my father's house, where affection tended to be mercurial and only bestowed upon one child at a time. It meant my brother and I were voracious pits of need, desperate for motherly affection, which she showed on us when we scored time with her. I mean, that was just kind of to segue to kind of like, that's how you view feminine energy in the world. And everything was incredibly personal. Well, it didn't, you know, the good news is it didn't turn me off. Of, of I have a lot of great female friends, mm-hmm. right? But I do think being in foster care from nine months to four, you know, from adopting a child yourself, those are, and your son, those are really big uh, bonding years and learning things from your parents. So I'm well aware that I missed out on, on a bit of that. And then when I moved to my father's house, and with my stepmother, who I get along with great now, by the way, she's a tremendous lady. But when I was growing up in the household, we, did, we didn't say I love you. We didn't hug. We didn't, we didn't have that 
you know? Mm-hmm. And now she'll say, I love you, by the way, as an 80 something year old woman, she's uh-huh. finally, and this is also because of the way she grew up. She was a sharecropper's daughter in the South, you know, where they were working in fields, frankly. So anyway, I thought it was important for me to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and get correct because ultimately I realized I am ultimately writing a self-help guide here in a certain mm-hmm. sense with the tarot books. So I had to kind of get correct about some of my own stuff. Um, like I tapped into the, uh, the avoidant because I, I was, um, hanging out with a guy I really liked and he was only in town for a little bit. And he asked me to hang out every night. And one night I said, no. And I wanted to hang out with him actually. Mm-hmm. I did, but I said, no, I did have work to do, but you know, I, I said no. And I was like, why did you say no? Cause you could do this work later. You, you know, you're responsible and you want to work, but you really dug into why I'd said no. It was a little bit that I didn't want to rush it too fast. I felt like everything was happening fast. And this was my way of not getting out of it at all, but saying, whoa, let's, let's not project into the future. Right. right? But it, it also was a tap into my avoidant behavior because as a small child in foster care, which everyone always says, you seem to the matter born, Rachel. So I wanted people to know I was in foster care. Each and every one of us has a story that nobody knows. And we're all on our own hero's journey, you know, is my theory with that. But, um, yeah, it was, I love writing too. Like I'm not just an actor, I'm an artist. So to me, writing this book was a way to tap into just another side of my artistic sensibility and being vulnerable about family. I thought was important because here's where I'm going to be sound like an old lady grown up. Sometimes I think when I hear the millennials and I get it, there's so much they've been through as a generation already, but a lot of them seem like they wear that pain as the badge of who they are. Mm-hmm. And I get that, but I know that the things that have been tragic or this and that, I, they don't, they're part of what's built me. But is it the thing I hang myself on? No, because personally for me now, I'm not talking about them. It feels like it puts me in a victim space when Mm -hmm. I do that. And it's important to me with the book and all of that to say, hey, no matter where you came from, what your circumstances is, even if you have truly been a victim in your life, which a lot of us truly have been, whether it is a parents or sexual assault or whatever, there is a way to take that and not let it define you as a victim. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm hoping to do with this book too. Yeah, I love that. I love how you're how you will set the stage and especially through modeling, right? Because like the best way that we can ever be of support to anybody is by sharing experience over advice, right? And the fact that you could use your own experience and offer that in a way that helps people recognize, yes, I can be vulnerable. And also I can frame this in such a way that it's so much more about how I've been like a survivor and a student over being a victim. Yeah, because when I write in the, there's an essay I write for the devil, which, you know, in tarot, listen, it's not necessarily hardcore, the Christian devil, but it sort of is those theories, right? There's, I talk about that card in terms of low vibe or high vibe, meaning mostly it's crappy. You don't want to be in that low vibe energy, but there can also be a bacchanalian good time, or perhaps you live in a small town and, you know, you're discovering your sex sexuality and it's not considered the norm in your mm-hmm. town that's the high vibe of the the devil to break away from the shackles of of that people are putting on you but i write uh about a terrible thing i did in my 20s to a guy who did something terrible to me but it was really uh, and i'm not saying who it is alec mappa because he is I super famous he is, he is super I famous but let me just say this i think he only looks young because i let him date me but it's mortifying what i write about in that essay but i i really thought about like i'm not the only asshole out there who's assholed 
you know, and then learn from that. Um, Okay. So you're a very controversial figure and you were talking about, it's not the actual devil, you know, and um, you know, there's, the imagery, what I love about tarot is it is so Jungian. You, the, the pictures are very emotional. I mean, look at this this person, uh, the swords. I don't know, the Ten of Swords. This is a person impaled on a bunch of swords and they're lying down. It's not a happy thing. Well, yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. let me jump in and say with that card, that's actually, um, when you look really close, it's a statue, right? Because uh, my point with that card is whatever is over it's a card that represents something is dead it's done it's over but i use the statue because the other layer to that card is it's also so dead it's cold if you get that card it's probably been dead except in your mind you're still holding on to it yeah yeah Yeah. okay this is what i want to talk about super quick um not well not super quick um you're a very controversial figure in the african-american community because um a lot of uh black people who are very religious very christian are actually intimidated by something uh, something this uh, esoteric or something this kind of occult seeming supernatural seeming what how would you allay the fears of somebody who is intimidated by by this kind of like you know, practice or divination? Well, a couple of ways. First of all, this is literally a cardboard card. <laughs> it's a piece of cardboard printed up in probably China. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just a card. Just a card. The magic is not in the card. People, I'm not touching that. Ooh. Right. Girl, right. it's not. The magic isn't in the cards. The magic is in what your visceral, emotional, intuitive reaction is to the card that's where the magic starts because my point with the book is how can you unlock your own intuition and most of us between our standard american diets which you know don't do our bodies any favor with inflammation and are swirling in anxiety right Mm -hmm. like some people listen some people really need meds and they can't stop that i'm part of the group where i don't actually need meds but i used to really indulge my anxiety you know what i'm saying because there is Mm -hmm. a difference now, a lot of people in America, and again, my dad is bipolar. I'm all for meds. <laughs> what I'm saying, though, is I think there's another group of people who maybe some are on those instead of doing the hard work of really looking into their shadow selves. Um, right. And let me jump in and say controversial in the black community uh, is nothing new to me, but it is a little annoying because like a couple months ago, there was a big support black authors hashtag. And I'm like, unless they're talking about a subject you don't like, mm. that's what I've learned about because precious hardly anyone black will talk to me about this book but what's great is a friend of mine who's super religious i'm not going to name her because she's well known she was like she said to me i was a little scared of it when i first got the package but then i thought about it rachel and um black people used to use healers they didn't go to shrinks they didn't go to doctors they went to the local woman and i read my horoscope rachel and i thought about it and there's preachers down south shaking snakes and divining and she goes so and i know you rachel and you're not evil so in the end me and this super religious person and i love her because she's a real christian meaning Uh she lives the actual tenants rather than the hypocritical version of a christian Right. So she looked through it. I ended up giving her a reading. It was super fun. And then she was like, I had a past life regression once. Uh, so people are interested in this stuff. It's just, there's a lot of dogma. Yeah. When people are following all that dogma and doctrine, that's all the stuff that is just very man-made, right? Like the kind of structure of religion. It's not actually the kind of most spiritual uh, perspective and approach to things. But, you know, if you're actually kind of living some of these things, which I think you could almost kind of boil everything down to love or fear, right? Like it's either kind of light or dark. And so, yes. what, you're, and so what you're talking about too is this is just one other way to, for us to be able to take a look at that. It's one other mean for us to, 
for us to take a look. It's a tool for self-reflection. Yes, you can yes. go further with it. Yes, you can divine with it, but I don't even get into all that stuff because my thing is you can't even, you can't, like, you got to learn to walk before you can ride your broomstick, ladies yeah. men. So don't worry, people that, don't worry about that. Let's just try to get in touch with our intuition, first of all, because yes. most of us don't trust our intuition or our gut bacteria is really messed up, so we don't even have any intuition anymore. You know how food right. can back me yeah. up that food. I gave up a lot yes. of foods I loved. Uh, when I hit my forties, I gave up smoking because mm -hmm. I got real with it. And when I went to buy a pack in my head, I would say, I'm paying someone to kill me. Mm. I'm killing Ooh, my, I never that, heard it put that way before, because it's the truth or I am killing myself because yeah. I thought if I get real truthful, most of our bad behavior comes from being in denial of the consequence of it or the action yeah. of it. I find. So if I get real with myself and say, this is what I'm doing. Cause I, listen, I could eat 20 boxes of donuts right now, but yeah. <laughs> right now but i know that they will make me feel low vibration my energy will feel sluggish also i'll gain weight da, 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 da. so i think about the consequences and that comes from a practice of terror and being aware of yeah. the world around me and i love that too because actually having something that you can kind of project onto and then it gives you more insight and perspective onto what your truth is i think is great because i think the shit that people get trapped in the most is not necessarily the truth, but the judgment that immediately follows that if I'm doing, if I'm doing one thing, then what does that mean about me? What kind of person would do that? And we character assassinate and we then have all this shame yeah. that comes up around it. Yeah. That's you, Rachel. But and the other thing I learned really judging you, like you were like, really, you're really, you're really, really hard on yourself. No, it's hard to have an objective interview with, with a friend, but it's like, because we have that in common. We're both incredibly tough on ourselves. Well, Alec pointed out something. He said, you don't really celebrate your victories, like after we read uh, the book. And I thought, oh, that might be true because I'm already like, oh, I've done that. And now I'm already on to the next thing. You mm -hmm. know, I don't feel like I take the time to celebrate those things as much as I could. So that's something I took in that he said. Um, yeah. Okay, wait, let's do let's do a quick neurotic uh, check for everybody. What's okay. like, what's what's the one thing that everybody tends to like the trap that they that we fall into about the thing that we beat ourselves up about the most? Go. Well, first, first, I want to add in, though, that one thing I learned about myself <laughs> that I think would be helpful to listeners. I'm going to answer your question, but I had to learn my cool down point. Yeah. Like something if I get some bad news and it hits me, yeah. I am a. I am a raging lunatic for five to 10 to 20, whatever it is. Yeah. I cool down. Yeah. You know this. Yeah. So what I try to do is not talk to anyone or return an email in okay. that period. Can we talk about Good. yesterday? Do you want to talk you about know what I'm saying? yesterday off Yeah. Of what? Yesterday when we were talking about the book and stuff and what you saw on Amazon. Oh, listen, listen, I don't really want to get, I don't want to give that, I don't want to give that card slinger too much life, oh, don't, but, the, don't. but, but like, the truth is if someone critiques me, I'm used to it as an actor, right? If someone critiques my work or how I look. All right, fine. I can't do anything about it. I signed up for that. Right. I just, I, I mean, that's the truth. And with the book, I knew I was prepared for, if someone said, I hate your writing, I was prepared for that. Or I don't like the artwork, I was prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for someone to trash it all because they didn't like the, the thickness of the cards or something. Yeah, the cards are great. Right. Well, it's just an opinion, right? But they didn't like, it's odd to me. I wrote, here's part of why I got wound up yesterday, Alec. I can't. Is, well, um, my point I is, she had this one thing. Book, I'm going to talk. I'm talking, Kamala. I'm talking. I'm talking. <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking. You have a fly in your head. You had, <laughs> you, had this, you had that one 
it's, you know, not, it was unpleasant. And I, I have the same thing. If I see something unpleasant written about me, blah, blah, blah. But it's not but even about me. I'm talking. Still, <laughs> we know. You had, you had volumes of positive reviews where people were wonderful. Yeah. And no, you didn't hear any of it. So to answer your question, but I am glad I got the point in about learning your cool down point, uh, period. It's important for everyone to know. But yeah, I focus, I can focus on the one negative instead of mm-hmm. the 20 million other fabulous things. And what's, the spe- and what's the specific negative and irrational thought that it stirs up for you? What's that shame trigger? What is it, what's, the, what's it triggering for you? Well, you know what, for me this goes back to being in foster care and all that and not wanting to be a victim. Because when I was, I would say in my teens, I think in my twenties, I kind of got out of it, but yeah. in my teens, because what I think, at least in that one particular thing that Alex talking about, it wasn't about my work. So it felt not fair. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that. And I said it like a child because it's an old, clearly an old place. Now, part of this comes from frankly, being a black woman. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest because, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, when I moved up to, I was raised in New York City. Then I went to an all, my parents, my white dad thought it was a good idea to move his black family to a completely all white area. Mm. And, you know, in, in like sixth grade, we had a, when I first moved up, there was a jumping contest. I did the most jumps. My, the girl counted shit. She did a hundred jumps. The principal of the school walked by and said she couldn't have done that. And I didn't win. And I, and, and so. Huh. He couldn't have counted my jumps either. You know what I mean? He right. just, this old white man just came by and said she couldn't have done that many jumps. He and that has been a, is what it that, sounded like. But that's been a through line in my life. It's like this black girl couldn't have done this shit. I got the highest SAT right. scores my school had ever gotten. And this is how they told me. Did anyone tell you? They weren't happy for me. They were, So for uh, me, I have a little bit of a chip. Yeah, of course. Or a giant chip. Listen. Like I said, if someone trashed my performance in a movie or writing, I can't say shit. You know what I mean? Like that's fair enough in your opinion. But when it comes down to something that's out of my control, then I. <laughs> I think well, for fair. sure. But anything I would say, anything that's an authentic representation of you, which I think actually can be something around a creative expression, acting, writing, but really anything that um, somebody might be able to kind of like you know press that hot button or kind of like shine a light on something that can be that chip on your shoulder that you know is not true, but also has a long, you know, kind of history in your life mm-hmm. where that's been stirred up for you, where people and circumstances and situations have time and time again told you that there's something not enough about you or that you couldn't possibly be good enough. So there's no way that that shit isn't going to get stirred up. That's your shadow self, right? Kind of emerging and then being able to shed light on that because that's the only way that we can kill off shame is, but you know, it's like a, it's like a fungus. So with yeah, identifying your triggers is important. I, yeah. took Absolutely. Anger, I took and an anger management class and they said that part of the biggest de-escalation in uh, is identifying your triggers. The what's yeah. and, and mine is feeling like I'm being disrespected. It's um, in a disrespectful tone or a patronizing tone. And by patronizing, Rachel, I mean <laughs> down to a person. Um, then that kind of drives me wild, but I have to recognize that's the trigger. But what is it? Okay, that's the trigger. But what is it triggering for you? What is the negative, irrational shame? The the negative, irrational thing is that this person does uh, does not see me as a person. Got it. This person does not see me as intelligent. Yes. This person is not taking in how amazing I am. Totally. Yeah. 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 
And that's the thing yeah. about it too, is that there, of course, there are absolutely going to be times where people are going to be condescending, are going to be patronizing, are going to mansplain, are going to whitesplain, are going to all the things, right? Like that's real. Mm-hmm. But also there are times that our shit gets stirred up when that's not even the intention of a person, right? Or mm-hmm. that's maybe not entirely going on too. And so it's kind of like up to us to also be able to kind of like call that out and find ways of responding to it instead of reacting. Because when we can respond and say, hey, actually, I was in the middle of talking or, hey, I actually don't appreciate the way that you said that to me, then that helps reinforce that what we need matters as opposed to like clapping back or running away or whatever, because then that reinforces that it's actually true, that Mm -hmm. I don't deserve the attention. No, I love that because I had, um, I was talking to a friend the other day. I mentioned something that wasn't about them, but it clearly triggered them, right? Their energy shifted everything. They got aggro. And I said, listen, listen, I want to ask you something about that. Is it me? It was Alec (laughs) Mott. No, and I said, I want to ask you about that moment because I wasn't talking about you and I can tell that you're upset. And we, it was fine. We talked it out, right? Like, and she went, oh, oh, you're right. I'm just very sensitive about this. And so we were able to talk like adults and the same thing happened in another conversation where I thought someone was doing something and they said, oh girl, I'm not. And I wrote back, Oh God, you're right. I'm super tense about a lot of things. And I I jumped on that. So I like that I've developed in my life ways to communicate with people when tension arises. But again, I got to wait for my cool down period. That's right. Let's talk about your career um, uh, really quickly. No uh, conversation with Rachel True would be complete without talking about her stellar acting career. She's not just an author and a tarot card reader. She is a, a well-known, internationally beloved actress. Um, you're, now, you're, now, um, you're, you're now a Netflix star because the sitcom that we did um, is uh, on UPN back in the day is now, is now streaming all seasons on Netflix. Yeah, it is. I'm super excited for that. Actually, there's a lot of people who didn't see it the first time around or really loved it. You know, like we I don't think I realized I'm never not shocked at the amount of white people who were like, I loved half and half. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> somebody sent me a clip on Instagram and I was like, the first thing I thought was you look so pretty and I'm so thin. I'm so. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I actually am dealing with. No, it's not shame, but I've been working on releasing some of my feelings about it. Cause so on one hand, I'm super happy. I'm proud of our work on that silly show. But on another hand, I can tell now when I look back at most of those episodes, first of all, my dad died right away the first season. And then I blew up weight wise And then I didn't realize I ended up having a major surgery for a female thing that is partially hormone related. And um, even my face looks completely different. I can, I, and I, I don't know if you remember, Alec, I would walk around set always rubbing my stomach and stuff. I was in so much pain and discomfort. I didn't know I was (laughs) (laughs) I would have had to have sex, Alec. Um, So so when I think about that, because this is a psychology kind of show, like I had to think about my feelings about that. And I just kind of came around to listen. It is what it is. I'm so glad that I got healthy afterwards. And part of the shame, if there's any, is that I got so much black online for not being a skinny mini. Mm. And uh, my feeling now is like, I don't know, try, come at me with that. Go yeah. ahead and try to judge someone wow. for weight these yeah. days yeah. and see how that have- flies. You also have a new horror film coming out called Agnes. That's news to me. Ooh. Yeah, well, I did an action movie last fall, and then I did this um, kind of an intellectual horror movie called Agnes, where I played a nun, which was so neat. Actually, speaking of psychology, I got it. Like, putting on that habit, 
Mm-hmm. You really feel, you get it. You're putting on a uniform of something. So you are taking that on. And yeah. even the way you walk is different and all of that. So, I mean, I listen, I really love acting. And I think now that Happy Half is back on um, Netflix, I'll probably, you know, get back in the game a little bit. I kind of, honestly, I found myself as an artist by taking a little break because I'd worked steadily for 25 years or whatever it was. And um, before, uh, when I was working a lot, I always felt comfortable calling myself an actor. I'm an actor. But I never really felt comfortable saying artist because when I when, when NYU, they were such posers and pretentious people. But <laughs> it was, you know what I'm talking about, Alex, too. <laughs> I have that no idea. <laughs> so I thought it was stupid. But now, I think from taking a break and working on a book, and I understand I'm an artist, whether it is sewing a shirt I just made or writing yeah. a book or acting. It's all art. Everything yeah. I do in my life is art. So that feels really, that's the thing people don't understand about being a grown up. You actually start to get to know yourself better. Like I don't mind uh, where I'm at in life. I mean, of course, if we had our 21 year old bodies, we could take over the world, but I kind of <laughs> like myself more, the more I grow up. Yeah. Rachel, yep. I'm so proud of you, you know, and I'm your friend. And this is what I love about Rachel is that she is, she's a Scorpio. She has, she needs a lot of alone time. She has her secrets. And um, I love that she's she's uh, she's mortified by affection. So I go in the opposite direction. I throw her a birthday party. <laughs> I hug her. She absolutely hates. Um, I'm really really proud of you. I've bought. Um, we've already bought two copies of your book. Um, I'm giving Thank them out. Thank you, friend. I hey, leave an Amazon review for me. Uh, leave a leave a good Amazon review. Uh, <laughs> True Heart Intuitive Tarot by Rachel True. It's a guide uh, to tarot with for beginners with some lovely, lovely essays and some beautiful cards. It's the perfect holiday gift. It's the perfect hostess gift. Get your copy immediately. Rachel, where can people find you on the social media? Uh, on Instagram, I'm at True Rachel True. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm just at Rachel True. Those are the main places I hang out. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What? You sound so unimpressed. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. You look very pretty. You have on makeup and everything. It's I'm, I'm a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want a hot message, Alec? Yes. Oh, uh, Rachel. Usually we end uh, our when we have a celebrity guest such as you. We have um, them leave a hot message for people out there. So based on the uh, conversation we've had today, what would your hot message be? Uh. Well, like when it comes to the tarot and self introspection. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, my hot message would be just, I think, learning to self-soothe and process our feelings is one of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves because that's one way to release shame. Yeah. That's good. That is a that's good That's good. Yeah, See, I don't yeah. know any dumb people, Matthew. I just, I, I, I <laughs> all the smarties. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for being Thank you, on. Rachel. Thank you guys for indulging me and letting me talk nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Okay, bye. Bye, Bye, Rachel. Matthew, what's your hot message for the day? My hot message of the day, I think actually, you know, you've brought up Young a few times. And so one of my favorite quotes, actually, in general, and especially for Young, is um, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. (gasps) Unless you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. 
Oh, wow. That it's not just happening on no. its own. It's like, we're, we're actually actively participating in our own lives, but it's yeah. only when we can be aware of it and raise consciousness, then we have a chance to maybe redirect some things. We have a little right. bit, we have a little bit more power there than we I'm going to do what I usually do, which is basically say what you just said in a completely different <laughs> way, which is I believe that our consciousness is a magnet and how we feel about ourselves how we really feel about ourselves is mirrored in our environment. I agree with that. And, and I have, and, I, and that's coming from somebody who was in a lot of really bad relationships and bad situations. I had to take a hard look and say, I made this choice. Yes. It's not this that I, I dated shitty guys. I gave all the shitty guys my phone number. Uh, yeah. What they all had in common was me. Yes. So it's, it's, that's, that's the hot mess that I need to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I tied that up. See, I yeah. And where can people find you on your socials? Hot stuff? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey psych. And you can find me on Facebook at Matthew J. Dempsey psycho. You're so good at this. You're oh, I have come like, on now. Get out of here. Thank no, you. No, Thank just you. be Thank vulnerable you. and take it in. <laughs> oh, if I had a nickel, uh, if you had a nickel, your <laughs> stretch receptors are very sensitive. Um, Remember that? Yes. Uh, no, I love when you break down stuff in, in a clinical therapeutic way. You're really quite good at it. I can tell you went uh-huh. to school or something. Or, you know, <laughs> um, Thank you, you Alec. Find me on my socials at Alec Mappa uh, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can find us both at the Hot Mess Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Let us know how much you like the show or how much you uh, love the show. Those are mm-hmm. your two choices. Um, <laughs> don't forget to download and subscribe. We are a new podcast and we have great guests for you and we really want to be there for you and our audience is growing and growing and it's thanks to you. We're so grateful. That yes, you thank you. Your time with us. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye guys. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.